0: Hello and welcome to 24-7 NFL News' podcast. I'm your host, Karam Hadid. Today I have a very special guest joined here with me, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, their lead NFL writer. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, So Matt, we want to start off, we want to talk about you and how you got into Bleacher Report and uh, got to where you are today. So going into college and finishing up college, how did you get into the position that you're at now?
1: Well, you know, I kind of had an unconventional path to where I'm at now, um, and not one I would recommend for a lot of people, but it really started for me, like, back in high school. Um, my high school journalism teacher really recruited me and, like, made me join the journalism staff, and it wasn't something I really was that interested in, but he saw a lot of potential and, and you know, pushed me in that direction. And it really just kind of stuck with me. And I, I loved playing football, but I knew I was going to. Max out as a high school player. I knew I wasn't going to end up, you know, playing in college or anything. So I kind of just combined the two things that I really liked, and it it just, you know, kind of became my the thing that I was all about. You know, like it was more important to me than almost anything. And so, um, you know, right after high school, I started writing for free on the internet. And you know, like it, at that time, the internet was just kind of blowing up, and there were all these NFL draft websites, and I just you know, would would write for free and was real active on back in the day. It was like message boards instead of Twitter. And I was able to build a little bit of a following. So as I got a little older, you know, I I went out into the the workforce and had a normal job that I didn't really like and always kind of regretted that I didn't try to make it as a football writer, that I never pursued that uh, career path. So, um, when I was about 25 or 26, I really started to look into you know, how could I change from working in marketing to working in, in football again, and you know, I, I tried to get involved with scouting because I had been coaching high school football on the side, and I had been doing some arena league scouting on the side, so I thought, maybe I want to be a scout, and I pursued that, and I had some opportunities there, but I didn't want to be away from my family as much as that would require so I, I went to the next best thing and, and decided I wanted to try to write full time. And I one day was just, you know, online looking for journalism jobs. And Bleacher Report had an opening. I applied for it, and that was five years ago. And I'm still there now. So um, you know, everything from you know October of 2010 until now has just been me trying to figure it out at Bleacher Report and doing a lot of on-the-job learning. Hmm.
0: And with, with you getting that job at Bleach Report, at what point did you realize that your voice was sparking discussion or that every time you know you would make a statement, people would listen to that, and you had a big name in, in sports journalism? What point did that happen for you?
1: I still don't think it's happened, to be honest. I really don't. Like it's, it's funny because it's all happened so fast, and I know how big Bleach Report is, and I know how much of a platform that gives me But I still, like, I I guess I still think of myself as just the the guy writing for free on the side that, you know, this is just what I love to do. So, I I guess I don't really think about it like that. Um, I'm not doubting that that might be the case, but, you know, I don't want to get to a point where I think, like, oh, if I tweet this about this player, is it going to shift the narrative about him? Like, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I I consider myself just a guy talking football, you know, and and whatever happens with that happens. But... I'll tell you, it has been crazy watching it change from, you know, it used to be I could reply to every tweet I got. I could answer every question. And now it's just like, it, it's overwhelming. You know, if I answer one question, I, I get 50 right behind it. So that part is actually a little disappointing that I can't be as involved and as engaging with, with people as I used to be. But, you know, I guess the original question, I, I, I don't think of myself on that level. Like, you know, I still look up to guys like, Mel for and Ton McShay and Mike Mayock, and Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Like those are the guys who are big time and, and you know, whatever they say becomes like the gospel to draft fans. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm just still trying to to work and get on that same level
0: as they are. Well something that that did happen for you is uh, you've been appearing in the uh, EA Sports Madden games as one of the People that show up on the Twitter feed and stuff like that. How is seeing yourself in that? Oh, that
1: is crazy. Um, It's funny because I used to skip high school all the time to play Madden. Like it it got to a point where like my parents had to go talk to the school board because I was like skipping school all the time to play Madden. And so it's like a running joke around here that like you know
0: it paid off because now I'm I'm in the game. Now you're in the game. It's kind of funny. It's like a a, you know a running
1: joke with my friends. and stuff but um it, it is crazy when i got that phone call and they asked me if i wanted to be a part of the game i thought it was somebody messing with like i i never ever thought that that was even a, a possibility so it's it's really cool and every year when i get that email and they ask me if i still want to be in the game it's like the fastest email i ever respond to uh-huh.
0: like, of course i of course i still want to be in Madden. so it's uh it's one of those things that it just doesn't seem real, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm really lucky, just lucky to be in a good spot. Yeah. Now take us through a day in the life of Matt Miller. How does, how does your day work with all of the videos and writing and all of that stuff that you have to do?
1: Well, it's, it can be a little crazy, as you know, because it, it took us
0: forever to get this interview scheduled yeah. because my, <laughs> uh... It, it's tough. It really is. Um, you
1: know, a normal day. I'm up at about seven thirty uh, in the morning. You know, to, uh, eat breakfast at my desk, trying to you know read through Twitter, see if I missed anything overnight, and you know take a look at my assignment calendar, try to figure out you know do I start my day with video or radio, or am I writing an article, or am I doing advanced scouting reports? Um, you know, for NFL or college football, because that's most of my writing now is, is scouting based. So um, from there, you know, a normal day, I'm watching game film all day. Like right now, I'm working on the top linebackers for the upcoming draft, and I just go through position by position. So, um, you know, like today, it was Jalen Smith and Miles Jack and Reggie Ragland and uh, Joshua Perry, and tomorrow it'll be the next four guys. And I just try to go through systematically, you know, watch a game or two of each guy, And doing it that way, I can get in about four or five players a day. Uh, But like you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of video involved with my job. Um, This morning, for instance, I I did an hour's worth of video uh, for Bleacher Report and then immediately did, you know, about an hour of radio in different markets. And so it's, you know, it's a 7.30 to 5.00 job. Then I take a couple hours off to see my family. And once the kids go to bed, usually around 8.00 or 8.30, I'm back in my office again, trying to finish things up. So it's uh, it's one of those things. I mean, I love it, but it it is it does make for some long days. Um, I didn't know that it was Tuesday today, for example. I thought it was Wednesday. <laughs> I never know what day it is because yeah. they just kind of all run together. Do you
0: do you watch that film from home, or do, is that an office thing, or how does how is that?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm in Missouri. Um, I still like I still live right where I grew up. Actually. Uh, in the same county Um, so I work from home I have an office um, we converted the attic in our house to an office for me so I have about 300 square feet of office space with a a video studio in here and I'm able to just watch the game film from home Um, it's it's not easy to do with the NFL it's much easier because you could just buy a game pass subscription with college football it's a lot harder Um, you, you have to you know beg schools beg teams you know, talk to players. It it's a difficult process, no matter who you work for, to get college games done. So it's it's something that, you know, a decent amount of my day is spent emailing a, an S I D for a school and at, you know, asking them if they could FedEx me some games and, and things like that. So it's it, it's difficult, but I am I'm really lucky because I
0: can just walk upstairs and, and work so I don't have to worry about yeah. commute time and, and you know, going back and forth. Um now we talked a little bit about social media and you, you brought up how how much of a fan base you've gathered. But with that, with 132,000 followers currently, uh, you're going to get some haters. And something I like about you is that you, you reply to everybody, and that's people that are asking genuine questions and also people that are trying to make fun of you or say something you know mean about you. And it's funny because you reply to them. So... My question is, what is the funniest, you know, mean comment or, you know, response that you had for somebody on Twitter? Oh, man. I
1: get so many, and it's funny because I do try to, like, laugh at them. I try to turn it around and make it funny because if you, yeah. don't, if you don't do that, people eat at you, and it, that's how my first couple years were because I took it all very personal and very serious, you know, I felt like people were you know, attacking my livelihood, now I'm able to laugh at it. And I I think that's where every writer, you have to get to a point where people are going to hate you. They're going to say mean things for a reaction. And you you just have to be able to laugh about it. So, you know, uh, the
0: most memorable one was someone told me they wished my mom had aborted me, which is just, it's awful, but the creativity is pretty impressive. You know, I think that's what always surprises me. You know,
1: I get the ones every day where it's like, you know, I get the, you missed on Trent Richardson, I get that tweet every day, you yeah. know, and I, at this point, it's like a challenge for me to come up with a, a new <laughs> and creative way to respond to it, but a, a lot of people are just, you know, it's the same thing, it's the, you know, like, they they call you some kind of, you know, homosexual
0: slang term, or they insult your family, or, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it, there's not a
1: whole lot of creativity with most of the trolls that I encounter.
0: Yeah, I mean, fortunately for me, I haven't I haven't reached that phase where, uh, I get a lot of people tweeting me that stuff. But hopefully, I guess that's a sign that you, you know, your voice is uh, important in some sense.
1: Yeah, I was told uh, a couple years ago by um, King Kaufman, who was like the head of the kind of the head of the writer development crew at Blue Report, and he pulled me aside one day and he was like, you know, when when people hate you that's when you know you're doing your job. Yeah. Like, when, when they care enough about your opinion to tell you they hate you, like, that's when you know that you, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to. And I try to remember that like it's like 1% of the people who really don't like you who are vocal and the other 99% who you know, enjoy what you do, they're not going to reach out every day to tell you you're doing a great job. So I try, to, I try to remember that. And I also try to think of the trolls as like junior high kids who are bored on lunch break, so they're just giving me a hard time
0: yeah now uh we're gonna transition real quick and uh this is a new segment for 24-7 and it's called seven questions with 24-7 and how it works is i'm gonna ask you seven questions and these questions are non-football related totally random and i want you to answer it fast and as honest as you can all right cool uh the first question if you were a rapper what would your rapper name be uh, yeah, my bet- friends called me Matt. My friends called me Maddie Mills when I was younger, and that's the only thing that comes to mind. <laughs> even though that's such an awful rapper, game, but uh, Maddie Mills. I'm not very in touch
1: with the the rap scene, so.
0: <laughs> uh huh. I bet I bet you weren't expecting me to ask you that question.
1: <laughs> I wasn't at all. That's really good, though. That's you, you got me on my toes now.
0: <laughs> all right. The second question: If you were to have one superpower, what would it be?
1: I would like to be able to fly, um, especially as much as I have to travel for work. I would love to just hop
0: up Superman style and it'd be in New York or San Francisco. Uh, question number three: What is your biggest pet peeve, both professionally or just in general at home? Um, uh, people who think they know everything, believe it or not. Um, yeah. You know,
1: I I live in a, a very opinionated area. You know, whether that's politics, sports, religion, whatever it might be. So the. It definitely
0: seems like the uneducated crowd is the loudest, so that's that's my current pet peeve. And uh, question number four: Iron Man, the Hulk, and Superman get into a fight. Who would win? I, I think
1: Superman has to, right? Superman, uh, I'm gonna go Superman. That's a tough one,
0: though. Okay. Uh, question number five: You you obviously interact with a lot of athletes, and uh, whether it's in person or just online, what is the most embarrassing or funniest interaction you had with, with somebody?
1: Uh, Most embarrassing, Luke Keekly at the Super Bowl totally called me out on a radio show for being wrong about him before the draft. And we had a good laugh about it, but for like a good 20 seconds, I didn't know if he was going to like fight me or uh, if he hated me. Like, I just got this stare down from this, you know, awesome middle linebacker. And I was just like, oh, God, like, what's about to happen here? But he had a good sense of humor about it. I think he saw that he had
0: me sweating a little bit. So but it was—it was pretty embarrassing at first. That's funny. Uh, the next question—I uh, know you're into history a little bit, and you know presidents and that kind of stuff. If you could be present in any moment of time in history, which which moment would it be?
1: I would say that World War II. You know, like the when when FDR had to make the decision to do lend-lease to, you know support uh, Britain that whole process like it would have been the most stressful time but i think also you know the most important you know like we you don't want to pick a president where you were just going to hang out like camp david every weekend like i would i think if you have that job you you want it for the big moment so i would want that one
0: and uh the last question if you could have dinner with any person dead or alive who would it be and you can't pick me i can't pick
1: yeah, that was going to be my first answer. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I would honestly say President Obama. I think he's a, an interesting guy, and I think on both sides of the aisle, he's a little, uh, you know, kind of misunderstood in some way. So I think just being able to, to get to know him, you know, behind the scenes a little bit, have a beer, have a burger, and just, you know, talk some sports, talk some politics, uh, that would be pretty cool.
0: Okay, and that concludes twenty four sevens. Uh, seven questions and now we're going to transition to the main reason why, why we're talking to you and that's football in the NFL. Uh, in Detroit, uh, Detroit recently uh, just yesterday underwent some changes in firing offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi as well as their offensive line coach after a uh, very unexpected one and six start. What would you... Uh, what do you see is the problem in Detroit, and do you think that they have what it takes to turn it around with a new offensive coordinator?
1: You know, I think that a lot of it is the, the culture. You know, they had a head coach who was real, like, excited and aggressive in Jim Schwartz. and as always happens, you fire him and you go to the opposite. You go to this real calm, like, grandfatherly players coach in Jim Caldwell. And so it's it's just a completely different system, and I think the team is reflecting that. You know, it's a very laid back approach. Um, you know, they're not they're not a real aggressive team, and I, I think that's showing up. And you also you lose some leaders in Sue and fairly and you, you know the defensive line. Just I, I don't know how you recover from that. And also with DeAndre Levy being hurt with the the hip injury, that that changes everything. You got your three best defensive players from a year ago. They're not on the field, so I think that has a lot to do with it, and and I don't think a new offensive coordinator is going to fix it. I think that's a move where you're firing a guy to save a guy.
0: Well, talking about that, do you see Jim Caldwell as the head coach of Detroit next year?
1: Maybe next year, just because I think that every head coach anymore, you almost always get three years. Um, If if they want to call me and ask my opinion, I would say that they need to blow that whole thing up. Uh, New head coach, new general manager... Just start over because it's, it's obviously not working. they didn't plan well for free agency um, they didn't plan well for you know losing Sioux losing fairly um, and, and training for Colta who's you know old and and really starting to regress they just they made a lot of moves that didn't get very thought out. I'm not sure they actually have a plan there uh, so I, I could I would just blow it up. You have some building blocks there. I would start over
0: do you see Matthew stafford as as a legitimate quarterback that can win Detroit a championship
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think he's the kind of quarterback who can win you a championship but I think he's good enough to get you to the playoffs
0: and then then it becomes
1: about defense and you know, the run game and they've always been weak in the secondary and I, they still are in some spots but they're also weak on the offensive line and they, they don't commit to the run game so I don't think it's as simple as you know I, like I said I think Stafford can get you 10 or 11 wins with a good team around them but he needs an offensive coordinator who's going to let him be aggressive, let him attack down the field.
0: Now we're going to hop from one disappointing team to another, and this is a question directly from a fan and something that I was planning on asking you, and this is exactly how the fan worded it. He said, what the hell is wrong with the Texans?
1: (laughs) A lot. You know, we were just talking about culture with the Lions. I think it's the same thing, and then we saw it play out in the media. You know the the idea that Rick Smith wouldn't let Bill O'Brien cut Ryan mallet and obviously they did on on Tuesday but I think it's just they have a weird setup there where Bill O'Brien is in charge of the 53 men on the roster but Rick Smith is in charge of you know signing free agents and making trades and running the draft room so you have you know two different guys kind of buying for power there I think that hurts everything but the NFL simple. It really is, and in this day and age, if you can't throw the ball, you're not going to win. And they can't throw the ball because they've misjudged the quarterback position. Their offensive line is not great right now, and you also have now a running game that had a lot of injuries there. You know, I mean Foster has been hurt twice this year now. So it, sometimes it's just you know unlucky breaks, and I think that's what it is with Marion Foster. But you you have to have a quarterback to win in the excuse me to win in the NFL and. And the Texans just don't have that. And that's where the problems all
0: start. Yeah, I mean, it, it also goes to the defensive side. You have a defense that people would expect would be great with J.J. Watt. They're leading them, but they're currently ranked 28th in points allowed, 27th in rushing guards allowed. It's it's just been a mess in in, in Houston all, on all phases.
1: Yeah, it really has. And I think last year was uh, – a little bit of fool's gold, you know, because they did, you know, they, they won nine games and it looked like they were close to making the next step. But the NFL, you know, it, it always seems like the first year more teams have a chance to catch up with what you do. That's when it's, it's so hard. You know, that sophomore slump we always talk about, you know, that affects coaches too. And when you count on guys like Clowney or Vince Wilfork or Aaron Foster, and they're not able to produce, it just throws everything you do off track. And, and we're seeing that play in a lot of places, whether it's Troy san diego houston kansas city um a lot of these places it's an injury or two and it really
0: derails the whole plan and now there's another team that's very that's been very disappointing this year that's the indianapolis colts now this team it seemed like when they drafted andrew luck they drafted their guy but last year he finished with 16 interceptions this year already nine and battling an injury he's been losing games for them uh by throwing his interceptions what is wrong with Andrew Luck and does does the system there with Pagano and that that whole culture does that have what it takes to turn it around Yeah, I don't
1: think they do have what it takes to turn it around and uh, I think we're gonna see changes there probably before the season is just because they're failing to meet expectations And you look at Luck and I see a guy who has all the talent in the world but he doesn't have an offensive line it, a receiver position. They have talent there, but when you don't have any protection, it's not going to happen. And as has been the case there for the past three or four years, they don't have a run game. So everyone knows you got to play off coverage and make Andrew Luck beat us. And I think that that's catching up with him. I mean, we know he was hurt early this year, but I see a lot of times, Jameis Winston was this way in college, you have a good quarterback with a bad supporting cast and they start pressing. You know, they start making mistakes. They start trying to force the ball and Winston did that as a uh, a redshirt sophomore and I think Luck is doing that now. He's trying to do too much and the defense is is capitalizing on it. So uh, I I would be a fan of him having a new offensive coordinator. He's been with Pep Hamilton since his time at Stanford except for the one year with Bruce Arians. So I I think just a new voice in his head, a new coach working with him every day would be just huge for his career at this point.
0: And now we're going to transition to uh, a different topic, and that's in the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they, have, they, they acquired Greg Hardy in this offseason, who's been very controversial and uh, has his obvious domestic violence arrest. And already, you know, this past week we saw him on, uh, on the field uh, getting in an altercation with their special teams coordinator and Des Bryant. Uh, what do you think of, of Greg Hardy there?
1: not a fan, you know, and I understand that the way the NFL is set up, you know, that talent trumps character in the NFL, and we see it every day, you know, I mean, every every move that's made the NFL it seems like that's the, the bottom line, but I, I think Greg Hardy is a guy who is out of control, you know, off and on the field, and if he weren't a great player, you know, we would be talking about him never playing again, but he is, he is a good player, so he's out there, and I, I think that it's just no accountability there you know and he got got away with what he did off the field and you know he's only suspended four games after the appeal and now he's pushing coaches and slapping clipboards out of their hands and you know i mean i only coached high school football and semi-pro football so i never made it to a super high level but i just can't imagine a player treating a coach that way and then being protected by ownership
0: it's that's that's really that's what that's situation. what the problem is. I think that you know you see, right. Jer- Jerry Jerry Jones re- responded to that by calling him one of the, one of the best leaders on the team, and and that's something and, that. And now
1: they want to sign him to an extension, right? Yeah, I, it's, it's it's a. It's
0: unbelievable. It's it's like a culture thing there too. You know, Jerry Jones is, is in a, win now mode. He wants to do anything to win, and he's you know sacrificing his morals for that.
1: I, I agree completely, and I, you know, I, I'm a. <laughs> I have a daughter, and, you know, so the Greg Hardy thing is already hard for me. Uh, but to see him treat a coach that way and his players that way, I, I just I think Dallas has said what they're willing to do to win, and they're willing to, to deal with anything. You know, it's, it's a win at all costs at this point, and that's what they're comfortable with. That usually bites teams pretty hard, and it, it seems like the old Cowboys, not the new Cowboys, you know, where they've been smart the last few years.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna change uh, gears real quick, and uh, we're gonna play NFL GM. If you if you could start an NFL team right now with the goal to win for the next five years, and you have you can pick one quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver to build your team around. Who would it be?
1: Uh, I would want Aaron Rodgers uh, for sure at quarterback. Um, running back, I would say Todd Gurley. Um, I'm not just trying to be reactionary to what he's done the past month, but I, I, I just think he's fantastic. I loved him in the draft class, so I would I would want him there. I like receiver. it comes. I think that's a little harder. There's a lot of great receivers right now. I would take Des Bryant, though. Um, if we're just talking for the next five years, uh, I, I would want a, a receiver who's a little bit bigger. Like Antonio Brown and Odo Beckham Jr. would be definitely guys you have to consider, but I would want a receiver who has a little bit of size, um, and I think Des Bryant is a
0: fantastic route runner and he's physical after the catch so those would be my three Aaron Rodgers, Todd Gurley and Des Bryant Okay. and uh, now we're going to switch it to the fan questions we're going to end it off with this Uh, I sent out a tweet asking uh, people for questions that they have for you and uh, the first question is who's the top wide receiver prospect in this year's draft I Right now. I think Laquan
1: Treadwell at Ole Miss is really special at the catch point, he's physical. But I think Josh Doxton at TCU is really exciting as well because he has got a quarterback there that doesn't do him a whole lot of favors and he has to be great in traffic and he's you know, get separation. You know, he had eighteen catches in a game this year, so you know he's great at getting open. But I think it depends a little bit on what you're looking for at the receiver position. But I really
0: like those two. And uh the next question we have is uh what do you think, uh, where, where would you rank junior cor- cornerback out of uh, Tennessee, Cameron Sutton, in, in this year's draft?
1: Uh, I have him in the kind of late first, early second round at this point. And you know, I, I think with corners, this isn't a great corner class, at least in, in terms of the seniors. So a guy like Sutton, um, you know, there's definitely some first round potential there if he were to come out, he has uh, half the size. Uh, definitely has to build, has the speed, uh, and I think you know the instincts that he's shown for Tennessee, a lot of, a lot of man coverage, he, he's very quick, as you see on special teams, he's a great punt returner. Those are all the things that can push a guy up the board. Being
0: one with speed at the corner position, it's going to turn a lot ahead. And uh, there's two questions left. The first right now, uh, Connor Cook is an NFL quarterback. Would he be good? Uh, I'm not a big Connor Cook fan.
1: Um, I I think I said in an article that he kind of reminds me of uh, a less athletic Andy Dalton.
0: I I think he had some starter qualities,
1: but I I don't see the – I know a lot of people really, really like him. I think his accuracy is is average, and I think too often the decisions he makes under pressure aren't ones that I really like. I know – you know, I know his percentage numbers are great there, but I, I see a guy who takes a lot of check down, doesn't really force the issue. And, and I also think it's a big red flag to me when a senior
0: quarterback isn't voted a captain by his teammates. Yeah. That's a big deal to me. Um,
1: so all those things put together, you know, where we're at right now in October, um, I, I, think he, I think he could start in the NFL, but I, I think he has a lot of work to do still.
0: Yeah, that that captain situation is definitely a question. He's gonna have to answer a lot come draft time. Uh, the last question. Uh, this is from a Detroit Lions fan who appears to be frustrated with their with their one and six start, and he says, "Should the Lions trade?" And this is absurd. Should the Lions trade Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford? Get a quote plethora of picks, and build their offensive line. Draft a stud defensive back. And then draft Connor Cook as their quarterback. <laughs> That's like one of those things you do in Madden, you know, when you're like, "I'm just going to trade everyone." I think
1: uh, the salary cap hit on trading staff would be catastrophic, so uh, I don't see that one happening. But it, it is funny how, you know, how people view things as like, you know, if we just trade these two guys, we'll get like eight draft picks, and, <laughs> and of course you'll hit on all those draft picks. So um, I, I think the Lions have to, to have a long-term goal in mind of. Calvin Johnson's getting older, Um, you've got some building blocks, I think Stafford is a building block, Levy is obviously one, is obviously one, so
0: I I would say try to build around those guys to be the key. Well, that's all we have for you, thank you so much for joining us, I know we we said 20 minutes, we went a little over, so I apologize for that, but uh, definitely appreciate your expertise on all these topics, and I hope you enjoyed this interview.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A
0: lot of fun, and I I appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you so much.